Welcome to Journey Within with myself, Nigel Paul Miller. Today I'm joined by biohacker extraordinaire, Dave McNamara. Dave is a good friend of mine, and he's also a serial entrepreneur and investor. And he's actually also the host of the Potent Dose Radio podcast, which I had the pleasure of being interviewed on not too long ago. Welcome to Journey Within, my friend. How are you? I am awesome, Nigel. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I have to return the favor, you know. <laughs> I guess so. You had me on your show, man. We had some. Uh, we had a pretty cool conversation. Um, yeah, absolutely. We got pretty. Yeah, I hope you've been doing well, man. And I know you've been really busy. And uh, congratulations to you on all your successes, man. I've been listening to your show. You're you're quite uh, quite the host. You really are. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, but yeah, so, you know, today I want to do something different because I'm kind of, I feel like I'm hitting a bit of, pl- of a kind of a plateau with my podcast in the sense that I, I kind of feel the episodes are kind of very similar to each other. So I'm going to try and switch it up today. So oh, right on. can we uh, talk a little bit about your podcast, Potent Dose Radio? First of all, I want to know why did you name it Potent Dose Radio? <laughs> and uh, Second of all, I want to know what is your intention for the podcast? Why did you create it? And what, you know, what message do you want to get out there with it? Oh, what a great question, man. You know, I, um, what's interesting, I, Potent Dose Radio came, um, I originally wanted to start a podcast to talk about um, just my experiences and reaching out and helping families that are going through uh, the aging process. And, um, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say that it's, it's a social ambush. You know, a lot of the people that I work with, um, you know, a lot of my clients, uh, I own a, a caregiving company here in Nashville, Tennessee, and we take care of a, um, we take care of a, a variety of, uh, elderly and handicapped adults. And, uh, I've learned a lot of lessons over the past nine years that we've been doing this. Um, and uh, I wanted to reach back out and just kind of share some of the lessons that I've learned because like my wife and I had no idea uh, about this journey that we were about to, to go on with her mother-in-law. And, uh, and then looking back, you know, um, I had no idea with both of my parents, which both of my parents have been gone for, for decades. And, um, you realize that it is a social ambush and you know, whether people just don't want to talk about it or, or they're, they're shying away from it. Uh, I mean, let's face it. It's, it's not the sexiest topic of conversation. You know, I'm not going to get invited to a bunch of cocktail parties and things like that. And I recognize that and it's okay. Um, so I wanted to start a podcast and I originally started a podcast called help age radio which is now turning into more of uh, like a social outreach program where um, communities can get involved. Uh, say like a perfect example is say, a, uh, well, I just talked to a guy that's an auto mechanic and uh, he wants to join in our network as well. So um, a professional caregiver um, or a family that's going through this, this life event can actually go to this auto mechanic, say, or this plumber, or this electrician, or, or this massage therapist, or, or whatever it may be, um, and get, say, like a, a discounted rate, uh, kind of like a military discount or, uh, or a senior citizen's discount, but it's for the families that are going through this life event, uh, and also the professional caregivers that are providing 
providing that care. Now, this is the very long answer to where Potent Dose Radio came along. <laughs> but I'm get, um, uh, my very first episode um, for Help Age Radio was titled Potent Doses. And uh, as soon as I recorded it and uploaded it to iTunes, it, uh, you know, that was um, that night I couldn't sleep at all. And I was like, man, I, I just got something in my head. You know, it just kind of clicked. And um, I decided to, to switch the name to, to Potent Dose Radio. And I was like, you know, I could reach more people and I could talk about more things in, a, in an honest and balanced manner. Uh, to to help more people in and outside of this life event, and we still have a Help Page Radio. We're still doing uh, we're still doing content for that as well. Um, it's just uh, I wanted to open it up a little bit because there's a lot of other things that well, you know, there's a lot of other topics that I want to cover, including like the topic of your show. The you know the at the corpus of your show is is this journey within. You know this inner peace, which is really kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know if you've done one of these, uh, these isolation chamber floats. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Have I, you done one? Yeah, yeah, I did one. Yeah. It was actually when I was writing my book, uh, I was, I was stuck on what to write next. And, uh, I actually went to an isolation chamber and yeah, just had all these incredible, uh, you know, uh, flashes of inspiration and then I continued writing my book it's funny because actually Steve Zekas interviewed me for his podcast dominate the deal and I told him all about that so you need to go listen to that episode my friend <laughs> I guess I do you know I guess I do I uh, um yeah I I just I went to one last night they're incredible aren't they? and it's incredible just absolutely incredible and uh we've had some amazing thunderstorms roll through here so I could just barely hear a little bit of thunder Wow. Uh, through the, it was pretty big storms and, um, man, what an, what an incredible experience. So, um, anyway, those are the things that I'd like to open up to and start talking more about that as well. Uh, along with not just my journey through the aging process with my, uh, with my, not just my folks, my mom and dad, but my wife, Gina's mom. And, uh, and also my very personal journey as as a cancer survivor, uh, when I was actually a care recipient. So, um, you know, I still think I have a lot of, a lot of insight to offer as far as that goes, but I think potent doses is, uh, you know, it's not necessarily about kittens. Absolutely. Yeah, because I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, obviously you got a cancer diagnosis at the age of 18 and, uh, Wow, that must have been a, a kick in the face. Like at that age, getting something like that. Um, you know, could you tell me tell me a little bit about that and you know how you came through it? Yeah, I'd be glad to share it with you, man. It was a um and I, you know, looking back to I, I don't mind telling you, I drew blackjack as far as that goes with my uh I, I you know, yeah, it was a hell of a ride and it was um you know it it was definitely a wake up call. And I think about it in terms of like, you know, my indoctrination into adulthood, um, as far as turning 18 was, um, you know, was my introduction to my own mortality, you know, a week after I turned 18, I'm going to a, a hospital and a doctor and he's telling me you got six months or do this, do this protocol. And, um, I was a high school athlete 
I played baseball and um, he said, well, you know, you're a, the only thing wrong with you is that you have cancer and you have a very curable cancer. So, you know, let's put you in a different protocol and, uh, and see what we can do here. And uh, it's interesting because half, I would say about a third of the way through the standard chemotherapy protocol, my oncologist switched, um, switched me from synthetic drugs to uh, natural based drugs. And the natural based drugs were just devastating. I'd have to say the biggest side effects that I've got, well, I mean, I was kind of sick through all of it, but the, um, the biggest thing was the natural drugs. They were just incredibly potent. And, um, you know, where on the synthetic stuff, I could, uh, you know, I, I was sick, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is expected. But the other stuff put me in the hospital. The natural, the natural drugs put me in the hospital. And it was just a, a completely different, uh, different circumstance altogether. Um, wow. I mean, incredible you, stuff. You would have thought the opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like saying the natural, you would assume that natural would be better, but you're saying that it was actually the synthetic ones that, that had less of an impact on you. Yeah, they were, I mean, they, were, they weren't necessarily friendly. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, a pretty rough patch. You know, what's amazing though. I, I think back about this and, um, you know, you're getting all of this, this, um, media content about fasting, right? Yeah, intermittent fasting. And how fasting is so, so incredible for you and everything else. And of course, it's, it's, got, it's linked to a, a, a growing list of ailments and diseases and, and cognitive dysfunctions and things like that. And it's almost like it's a miracle cure, but it's actually what your body is designed to do. This is what really gets me. Throughout all of those chemotherapy treatments, Nigel, it's the ones that I didn't eat before that I literally, I had no side effects whatsoever. I didn't get sick. My blood results were better. I mean, this is documented. And it's funny because I went to high school prom after my second chemotherapy treatment. And I didn't get sick at all because I, I didn't eat for the first, I didn't eat two days for, for two days before that, that particular chemotherapy treatment. Wow. Even on the, um, even on the natural drugs, um, in that particular case, I couldn't eat. Um, uh, so I was in, uh, I was in ketosis. Um, I, I, and I had, I guess, I, I guess you could say it sort of masked the acidosis transfer, which is, can be pretty uncomfortable when you're fasting. Um, that was kind of masked by other things, I suppose, but, um, probably marijuana, quite honestly, uh, to try and keep my appetite up. Uh, but that's exactly what I did not need to be doing, uh, which is what I've learned later in life. So I'm telling you, it's amazing, you know, as, uh, as, as much of, as much as I think that that life event um, could be perceived as bad. Mm. It, it's arguably, arguably uh, a good thing, yeah. you know. Turn, um, turned into a blessing. 
It really has. I can't lie about that. I think back about it and I, uh, it's kept me from doing a lot of stupid shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't beat cancer to be in this life situation. So I'm not going to make that decision kind of thing. It's always been sort of a catalyst for me to, to measure my, my life choices based on, you know, uh, and that was kind of put in my head at a very young age, a week after I turned 18. So, wow. you know, um, yeah, it, it really was a true blessing in disguise, you know, at the time. Um, but it's yeah. crazy when you were going through it, I, I'm sure you weren't thinking of it that way. <laughs> you probably oh, hell no. Yeah, and that's, that's the crazy thing, isn't it? But the fact that you can look back on it now, years later, and actually see all the positive events and all the good things that have occurred as a result of going through it, all the self-knowledge and self-wisdom that you acquired as well. Um, and now you can actually look back at it as a blessing, which I think is, is truly inspirational, to be honest. Thanks, man. You know, it's funny because between the treatments, I wanted to, um, I mean, we're talking 1988, right? Just so you know, uh, this, is, this is a while ago. <laughs> uh, I just had my, what, 30 year? Is it 30 years? 30 years ago. 31 years, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, between those treatments, I remember I wanted to make the most out of that time that I wasn't sick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I would be sick for a couple of days after the chemotherapy treatment. And then, um, then it would almost have like an echo sickness afterwards. There's a name for it and I forgot it, but, um, where your body just becomes depleted, you know, yeah. uh, you're not nauseous. I wasn't nauseous, but, uh, I was just weak. I was tired, felt like I had a cold. Um, and then that would go away after a couple of days. Uh, it was just your body's natural reaction, sort of a die off of uh, good cells and bad cells. Um, was, that and, after, was that after you, you didn't eat or after you did eat? Oh, that's after I ate. Yeah. 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 It's after I ate and um, the nausea and uh, all that stuff. It was just, it was, it was gone when I fasted. Wow. It was like a completely different experience. It was, you know, and I did it three out of the 12 times that I had, uh, that I had treatments. It was a year long, was it 12 treatments. It took a year because there was times where my, uh, my, my, they would have to check your blood before their chemotherapy treatment. And there were times where the conditions weren't good. And, and can they I weren't going to listen to those. Can I ask, uh, did the doctors advise you to fast at all for these chemo treatments? No. Not? They no. didn't. No, no, no. Uh, it was, it was not talked about at all. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of alluded that to that before as, you know, they wanted you to keep, they wanted me to keep my appetite up as much as possible. Even when I, when I, <laughs> even when I wasn't in the mood to eat, uh, it was like, no, no, pack on more calories and everything else. And, um, you know, it's, and I reached to marijuana, you know, I, uh, because I wanted to, I wanted to keep my appetite up. Um, and obviously the THC has a, uh, an anti-nausea effect. Yeah. So I, um, you know, we always thought that that was the best thing. Again, this is 1988 and uh, technology and, and, and medical advances have grown exponentially from then. So, um, yeah, it was, but honestly, Nigel, I, I, I look back at it and, um, you know, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough life situation, but it's also what set the pace, uh, for my adulthood, you know, um, when you're faced with this, uh, 
I don't know, sort of a, um, I don't know. You have one way out. You have one way out and it sucks, but you're going to get through it. You just got to get through it. And uh, I've sort of, I guess, kept that mentality. Um, I mean, you know, it was a very formidable time in a guy's life or in a, in a person's life at 18 years old, you know, any, any age. Do a die, a do or die thing. Yeah. I like to think that it's no different than than some of our guys that some of our guys and girls that joined the military. You know, it sets the tone and the pace for their life. Absolutely. Probably why I picked such an aggressive name like Potent Dose Radio or something like that. There's, um, needless to say, I don't. I guess I just don't have a lot of a lot of patience for bullshit. <laughs> as you can imagine <laughs> i mean i like my i like watching tv as much as the next guy you know but um you know i also recognize that it's just entertainment and you know i you know whatever but exactly. um i'm not much for living the, the uh you know living a melodramatic lifestyle so yeah, you know Absolutely. So, uh, so tell me then about biohacking because uh, this is something that you are you are very very into. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I just I'd love to know the background story. How did you come across biohacking? Uh, for anyone that's listening who might know what it is, if you could explain it a little bit. And uh, yeah, just just go into to, into your story about how you came to to be the biohacker that you are today. You know, it's funny. Um, I was actually, uh, gosh, man, biohacking. So obviously there's always been a health component to my lifestyle, you know, uh, being a cancer survivor, um, and making healthier choices and things like that. I, um, let's see, I met a doctor, my wife was a, a naturopathic doctor. Um, and I remember talking with her about, uh, you know, before I, uh, before I really started getting into too many nootropics or smart drugs or anything else like that, she suggested that, um, she suggested that I just try her protocol. It wasn't anything patent. She just wanted to take a look at my situation, look at the real telemetry, let your body speak for itself and say, okay, these are the numbers. Let's take a peek at this and see what we can do. And she found, um, she found a couple of different things in my blood. She kept uh, a couple of different things in my, most importantly, my digestion. Um, and I think that's what started everything off. Um, and I remember telling her, Dr. Page, I'll never, I'll never forget. I told her, um, you know, I feel fantastic. You know, I'm 210 pounds. I'm a six foot one. I mountain bike. I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I don't drink. I'm, you know, I feel freaking amazing she goes and i'll never forget she goes i bet i can i bet you could feel better like if you think you feel good now what if you could feel better and that one little question was like damn okay wow. all right let's have a look and that's what opened up all the telemetry and we started really getting into it a little bit more and um so uh you know we we checked uh we found uh uh, like a food-based bacteria or food-based parasite, probably from eating sushi because I love sushi. Got rid of that in my digestive tract, started doing uh, some other things um, as far as uh, uh, getting a proper bacterial balance in my gut genome. Uh, 
and uh, getting rid of the sugar, getting rid of gluten. Uh, and I said, you know what? I'll give it a try, whatever. And she was absolutely right. Nigel, it was like a, um, man, it was like a supercharger. Wow. And, I, and I already felt amazing. And uh, I was so wrong. I started fasting. Uh, this was 2012. Yeah. right around 2012. And um, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. And then I started looking into smart drugs, nootropics, because I was like, well, I wonder what else is clogged up here, you know? <laughs> and uh, so um, it kind of led me through that path. And I ran across Bulletproof Coffee, a video of Dave Asprey back in 2013 or 2012, <laughs> where he was uh, making Bulletproof Coffee. And I'm like, look at this guy, because I love my coffee. And um, I love it even more now. It's such a, it's, it's steeped into our lifestyle. I've got some, you know, I've got a little bulletproof coffee <laughs> right now. Um, uh, and also when I was looking into nootropics, I started looking into provi Provigil and, um, uh, and uh, Adrophenil, which is the, the, uh, the, the natural occurring um, precursor to um, modafinil. It's the active ingredient, but it's taxing on your liver. So, you know, you can just get a prescription. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's a yeah, silicone. No, I I don't, Dave Asprey takes it, doesn't he? Well, he used to. Um, you get to a point where it's kind of like, and I took it, you know, I absolutely took it. I've taken several smart drugs. Uh, I've, I've given you a bit of a stack, I believe, at one point in time uh, of some of the nootropics that I take now, some of the smart drugs. And, um, but you cycle them, you know, but everything comes in at an expense at some point when you're doing these things that aren't occurring naturally. Yeah. Um, supplements, uh, specifically nootropics, smart drugs, things like that, they're, um, there's always an expense and your body's going to tell you when that, that bill is due. Um, you know, whether you get like a small headache because you're burning choline uh, from one set of nootropics or you absolutely crash and just need to sleep. It's a, um, it's a saying I've picked up over the years. Your body always wins. Your body always wins. You can, push it and pull it and everything else, but your body's going to get what your body needs. And you're, you're along for the ride at that point. So um, it's funny because investigating or, or researching Dave Asprey and digging deeper and deeper into uh, biohacking actually led me to London real. Um, I found a, uh, this is in 2013. If you look it up, there's, I think Dave, Dave Asprey, uh, our friend Brian Rose, and I think Peter Diamandis um, had a uh, posted a, a, a podcast about Provigil and a couple of other things. And um, the whole trick to this is actually getting feedback. Like, what are you doing? It's, it, what is, is what you're doing actually working? And are you starting from a place that's a true baseline? You know, that's the, that's the, that's the premise in my mind. That's the premise behind, uh, behind biohacking. First, you have to start with a, with a, with a, a solid baseline, meaning are you the healthiest version of yourself the moment you start mm. and just doing that alone without taking any other exogenous stimulus or anything else like that, just doing that is, is probably all you need for day-to-day -day life you know, um, then you start getting into more higher performance stuff. 
are you performing at the best you're designed to perform, right? Are you, uh, and then before you start reaching for, like I said, any kind of exogenous things, are you doing basic things in your life, um, getting enough sleep, getting rid of the sugar, getting rid of the gluten? Um, you know, are you doing those things? And how is it working? Measure that, get that telemetry. Um, and then start little hacks. I, I'm going to tell you the most potent hack that I've, I, I do. Um, it is, uh, it, you know, with meditation and setting my intentions and affirmations and all those things, which you do either way, you're just consciously doing it um, to benefit yourself as opposed to reactively just letting other things, again, you know, sort of dictate how your day is going to go. Um, one of the most potent things that I do is cut the water to cold in the shower Yeah, every morning, every morning. But before you do it, you have to, you have to recognize that the, uh, the person that's in the warm shower uh, is a version of yourself that you want to change. And you have to set the intention of what you want to be. You know, um, and that person that you want to be is on the other side of that cold water blast. And I'm going to tell you, man, I wake up, uh, I am foggy. I am bumping into things. I've got a really shitty attitude. I did this morning, as a matter of fact, and I apologize to my wife uh, for that this morning because I just had like this shitty attitude. And I got in the shower, I got my coffee and blah, 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 blah. No excuses, man. I mean, again, all these things are things like, that's a thing to hack. It's like, well, why do I wake up in such a shitty attitude? Well, I'm, well there's something there. You know, you got to look into that. I can tell you when I get out of a, uh, get out of a shower after cutting it to cold, I'm the version of myself that I want to be and I'm ready to kick ass. Keep the names. I don't give a damn. I'm kicking ass. <laughs> it's just awesome. Like I've been doing cold showers myself for the last few years and uh, only in the last kind of six months again, I've kind of gone back to just doing straight cold as in getting in and just going straight into the cold. And I find it's, it's far more, it's more effective for me anyway, doing it that way, because if I get into it warm, I, I just get a bit too relaxed and then I get a bit too, you know, I don't know. And then when I turn on the cold, it doesn't seem to affect me as much, but if I get straight into the cold straight off the bat, like after getting out of bed or whatever, that seems to hit me a lot harder and it actually seems to have a better effect. And I even notice in my muscles and stuff like that, you know, your muscles are a lot, you know, they seem to be a lot more, I don't know, uh, responsive or something like when you're exercising later on during the day and stuff like that. Now I'm sure there's obviously physio physiological studies to back that up, but, um, yeah, cold showers, man, there, it's such a, such an amazing, uh, asset to have because I mean, it, it totally, and especially for dealing with emotions and, and just any situation where you're under pressure um, you, you notice such a difference when you, when you have cold showers in the morning, it really does. Uh, it's such an incredible thing to do. How long have you been doing them for yourself? Uh, the past year, uh, literally just started about a year ago. My wife and I, um, I don't know if I ever told you this or not. I, my wife and I built this house that we're in and, uh, we fired our builder because he was an absolute crook and he wasn't, he wasn't even good at it. <laughs> it was like, this isn't even some kind of a, a like murder mystery. This guy's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so we literally we fired him and literally built uh, finished building the house ourselves yeah you like, told me you built the house yourself all right but i didn't know the backstory i didn't know you actually fired your builder <laughs> oh yeah he's an absolute moron and uh 
you know, I, you know, I, I guess in my heart somewhere I'm supposed to thank the guy and there's parts that I, I, I'm thankful for the situation. Um, and I'm thankful that I've, you know, I'm thankful that we stopped him. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, and I, I can leave it at that <laughs> as far well, as that good goes. For you, man. Good, good for you for, for, for having the assertiveness to do that because I, I don't know, a lot of people wouldn't probably do that. have the balls to fire their own builder, like for their own house. <laughs> oh, I don't recommend it. I'm going to tell you right now, Jack, I'm just going to leave it alone. Just, you know, do your research. Uh, you know, I had to take responsibility for that and, uh, I should have really dug in and I won't let it happen again, but I'm just not a skeptical person. I don't like, I don't like being a, a pessimistic, skeptical person. Yeah. Um, but at some point it becomes irresponsible, not yeah it depends it's the people you're dealing with at the end of the day you can't you can't trust everyone you have to have some sort of a, a guard up uh regards <laughs> especially with stuff like that but but yeah but i mean look you did it and you, you obviously took over the reins yourself and and you ended up finishing the project so i mean that's something to be proud of isn't it oh absolutely and you know one of the benefits from that isn't just the house but it's the the you know i had to i had to push myself and um Part of that was getting in the cold, uh, doing the cold showers. And I think it's really interesting that you say something that, yeah, I think I just kind of learned something a little bit here as far as that goes. You know, you get in the shower just cold, mm. right? It's still your choice, right? Mm. To me, I think the reason, I'm just learning this right now. So if this comes off half-baked, you know, <laughs> just don't, don't, don't laugh at me, <laughs> at least to my face. <laughs> don't laugh at me to my face. Um, it's a conscious choice. It's my conscious choice, you know, to be in a warm, comfortable place, right? Mm. Because I, um, because I, I feel like I, I, I feel like I owe that to myself mm. to feel that sort of you are taking care of yourself. Maybe that's because my parents have been gone for so long or something. But to be comfortable and to be, you know, feel comfortable, but then to make that conscious choice to say. It's time to change. It's time to go to work. And that's when I cut the water to cold. Yeah. I, I think maybe that's yeah, it's kind so of it's like contrast this. for you. So it's it's like the contrast has a significance for you because you're going from from one kind of you know, one extreme to the next. You're going from Man, the talk top. about a journey within, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. Exactly, man. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, let's have a chat then about uh, nootropics. You were talking about nootropics there. Um, mm -hmm. Can you explain to people who mightn't be aware of what nootropics are? Um, just a little bit about what they are and what they do. Uh, yeah, there's... Um, so YouTube is, is absolutely packed with all kinds of uh, information about different different smart drugs or different cognitive enhancing drugs. And God knows there are plenty of people trying to sell you a magic pill, right? Here's the trick. Um, you really need to see how your brain works before you start playing around with uh, any sort of exogenous things that will come with an expense like we talked about. And, um, Part of the biohacking journey started with the Amen Clinic, where they use a, uh, a spec scan to, to look and see what your brain's actually doing. So uh, it's basically a contrast. I'll, I'll, I'll simplify it by saying it's, a, um, it, it's like an MRI, 
But an MRI is basically going to say, yep, there's your brain and this is what it looks like. Um, a SPECT scan is a single photon something, something I'll have to look it up and, and uh, we can put it in the comments of your, your, uh, your, um, your podcast when you upload it. Um, uh, the Amen Clinic is who we went to. Dave Asprey uh, um, recommended them. I met Dr. Amen at the biohacking conference in 2013 um, when I met Dave Asprey. And the idea behind this is uh, MRI will show you that you have a brain, right? And it looks like a brain. And if there's any um, abnormalities or anything like that, it's going to point it out with contrast. And that's that, right? A uh, SPECT scan shows how your brain works. So you, um, you basically are put through a series of tests like math tests or uh, hand-eye coordination tests uh, that are computer-based. And then they put a contrast in uh, intravenously and then look at where the blood flow is in your brain after going through all of this cognitive testing, right? Hmm. So it really kind of lights up where the, where the activity is in your brain. So from there, you can, you can really determine how to optimize your brain. Some of it's psychological, you know, and some of it's actual physical changes in your brain. And it could be anything from the food that you eat or Lyme disease or uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, or in my case, bumping my head when I was seven years old on a, on a skateboard or something like that, um, that doesn't cause necessarily brain damage, but it changes the flow, the blood flow in certain areas of your brain and it could be corrected, you know? Um, so, and it really raises some questions with me about some other things working in the field that I work in, uh, as far as, um, neuroplasticity and, uh, and, and cognitive, degeneration with the elderly and you know so i've got some theories behind that but i've got uh, i i really haven't dug up the research on uh to back up some of my theories yet but um anyway when it gets to nootropics you start looking at the nootropics um some of them are believe it or not you want to know what a nootropic uh, nootropics could be nicotine a nicotine patch it causes a behavioral um change right? In your brain. So you could literally get a nicotine. Now I'm allergic to nicotine. It, I, I don't smoke, I, um, I, you know, for obvious reasons, I won't smoke ever. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm curious about that. If, if you, um, I mean, you could do every, anything from like a nicotine patch to all the way up to microdosing psilocybin, you know, which is showing clinical studies, which is highly illegal here in the United States. I'm pretty sure it's illegal in Ireland. I don't know, but Mm. Um, well, microdosing psilocybin, which is the, the, the psytropic ingredient in mushrooms. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but microdosing it, uh, has shown to cause, you know, cognitive enhancement, um, conscious awareness, just a, a, a litany of things that are, um, considered improvements, mm. right? If you start to if you start to <laughs> hallucinate or or feel too euphoric, well, then you've overdone it. <laughs> You're not supposed to feel anything other than just um, more cognitively enhanced, if you will. Yeah. So there's a variety of different things. Um, it's becoming a lot more mainstream now, though, in the sense that they're using it to, to you know, test it against things like Parkinson's and dementia and all these different kind of uh, things they're using it for now. So it's like it's definitely going to be something that in five years' time, I'm sure, 
I'm yeah. sure it'll be mainstream, you know, just with the way things are going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating, but it's funny because, uh, like I know you were saying nicotine, but nicotine's not, no, you know, nicotine is kind of just, you know, it's what, it, what's in cigarettes and obviously people take nicotine patches to try and give up or whatever. But a good nootropic that I came across a few years ago was L-theanine. Now, I don't know even if that's the right way to pronounce it or if it's it L-theanine. L-theanine, yeah. So basically, cause I gave up drinking, I gave up drinking alcohol. Um, I just got to the point where I was just sick of it. I was going out, you know, every weekend and I just, I was just like, is this all there is? I was like, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of this. I said, right, I'm just going to give up drinking. So I gave it up and I started researching online for, you know, different kind of alternative uh, stuff to, you know, to use. And I came across Althenian and I started taking it um, when I went out. And I have to say it was, it was fantastic stuff. Like just got you in a real kind of flowy kind of vibe, you know. Um, didn't need to have a drink or anything. I could go out for the whole night and not drink and just just have like two or three capsules of Altini and just have a great time. Dance dance my dance my socks off. <laughs> you know what I mean? For five hours straight. It was fantastic. Like, you know, so I think uh that's definitely a new tropic that I came across myself and that was absolutely fantastic. Now, I also, I remember Joe Rogan, I don't know if he still does it, but one of his sponsors for his podcast was uh, Alpha Brain. Yeah. yeah, Alpha Brain's interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. So have, you've taken Alpha Brain. What, what sort of effects did you get off that? If I'm recalling it correctly, I think Alpha Brain has got um, artichoke heart extract. Again, these things are just natural. Uh, like L-theanine is a, is a non-essential amino acid, I believe. Yeah, it's from green tea. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and, and green tea, the same thing. If you took green tea, a very potent, um, see, there it is with the potent, baby. Oh. <laughs> if you took a potent dose, plug, shameless plug, um, uh, of green tea and took uh, 5-HTP, yeah, which is the yeah. precursor to serotonin, serotonin yeah, yeah. and it binds, uh, it binds with the green tea. And now you're, you've got the, the L-theanine on board, plus you're, you're, you're dosing up for serotonin. So do you want to know what's funny, man? I actually used to do that as well. I used to go out and take the two of them together. But what huh? I found was when I took the five HTP, I always felt moody the next day. I noticed there was a difference in my mood. There's and the expense. Because of the serotonin, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, but L-theanine itself, like, there's no, there's no real side effects from it. Like, it's fantastic stuff, you know. And uh, maybe I should start uh, sponsoring or getting getting an L-theanine sponsor for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing that's kind of funny is um, you, you talked about memory. Re you think about terms in memory memory recall and. Uh, you think about your brain in the, in the terms of a processor for your computer, right? How much information can you, how quickly can you access the most information in your brain, right? And how do you keep that pathway open? And uh, a lot of it is, well, you can't have every memory on your mind all the time, right? It's arguably, you can think of seven things plus or minus two, right? On average, um, and that's an old study uh, that I'm, I'm remembering, but, um, but how do you stress that? How do you push it? You know, how, well, really seven is it's seven things plus or minus two thoughts at, at, at any given time. Well, I don't think that's true. You know um, I think there's a smarter way to function um, a, a smarter way to, to, to put processor. Um, how do you say that? Boost your processing power. Just the throughput 
the throughput of your processor, mm-hmm. right? Here's another one that's interesting is um, I started taking lion's mane. And, you, and there's, oh, yeah, I have some of that here, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting stuff, you know. As far as Alpha Brain, um, I think that's using some basic, some basic things. I couldn't tell you the ingredients of it uh, right now, but even with all of those particular stacks, you can go and and deconstruct that ingredient panel on the back of it, and then really start tuning things that work the best for you. Yeah, there's a lot of right. guys on Reddit that do that, the, you know, neutral oh, yeah. stacks. Um, have, and uh, yeah, they all make up their own stacks. Like they all get their own bits and kind of experiment with different amounts of it and stuff like that. Um, and obviously that's the best way to do it because we're all individuals. All our physiologies are individual. We're all going to respond and react to different yeah. substances in different ways. Um, you know, so it's such a cool thing. Now, I've never really gotten into that myself, but I, I do definitely after talking to you now, I think I'm going to start uh, investigating it more. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, I would have to say one of, the, one, of the, one of the most interesting hacks that I've started uh, more recently than ever is this is not just intermittent fasting where I'll, I'll drink bulletproof coffee for, I don't know, up until around two o'clock today. Right. Yeah. Um, but even then I won't eat afterwards. I'll just stay in ketosis and a couple of things, uh, amazing things happen. Right. Um, you're the, the, the hunger sensation goes away. It, it comes in waves, right? And you can stave off that hunger by drinking water and you need to drink water, right? Mm-hmm. I usually take chia seeds, like yeah. chia seeds and blend them, in my, blend them in with the water with a couple of other essential oils uh, and, and things like that. And I'll drink that water, right? Yeah. Um, but I won't eat, I don't know, I might eat a light dinner once a day. A couple things happen, right? It gives your body a break. I'm not like the, you know, your body spends a lot of energy just digesting the food to process more energy, right? So when you give that a break, everything calms down. My body in general is not working uh, as hard. Here's the other thing. Um, It puts your body into a state of stress anatomically, Mm. right? So your body starts taking out the garbage cells that are past their shelf life, if you will, or, you know, or their cell by date, they start going away. Um, and that's a natural process that your body doesn't necessarily uh, get forced into. And there's a couple tricks or hacks that you can use to get, get your body into that. But again, when you're talking about biohacking or, or, or you need to start with that baseline, is your environment the safest and cleanest that it could be? You know, is your environment causing some of the, the stuff? Are the people that you're hanging around uh, having an effect on your cognitive, <laughs> cognitive function or your lifestyle? Um, so, that, you know, there's, I would start, you know, I, I would typically start with something like that. Um, the other thing that's interesting about fasting, going back to that real quick, is when you put your body into a state of stress like that, your cognitive function inherently gets sharper. And here's why. You have to think about where your food's gonna come from. Your body starts, uh, you're sort of inducing an anatomic level of stress, right? Mm -hmm. Where your body is like, well, okay, so we remember that 
you know, we're supposed to get food from this place over here, but there's no food there. So now what the hell are we going to do? So we start thinking sharper and we start, now we're putting ourselves there. So you can take that cognitive energy and focus on different things, but your, your, your ability to focus will, uh, will be sharpened in a state of fasting because it's designed to. Um, your body will start producing that your brain will start producing different chemicals um, that you can't buy and you can't replicate. doesn't work the same. Um, anyway, there, the, it, I think that has a lot of people, a lot of people think, you know, well, you need to eat a Snickers or a Snickers candy bar cause you're getting bitchy mm. or something like that. But the fact of the matter is you're getting agitated because of the state, your, your body's going into a state of stress. Yeah. Your blood sugar levels are changing and things like that. And that's why you need that sort of telemetry and start with a baseline, you know, mm. um, but they'll correct themselves over time. It's funny that like you talk about this because I've done that a few times myself where I've kind of skipped breakfast and I might have, I actually do the same thing as you funnily enough with the chia seeds and with the water and uh, I might have that in the morning. Then I wouldn't eat anything maybe until lunchtime, maybe two o'clock. And uh, I'd notice my mood in the morning. I'd be a lot, first of all, I'd be lighter in myself, but I'd also just seem to be in a better mood almost. And the only thing that stopped me from kind of going down the fasting route with the intermittent fasting was the fact that like I noticed as soon as I noticed my blood sugar dropping, I'm just like, oh my God, I feel like crap. I need to eat something. Do you know what I mean? And so you're basically telling me that I should push through that feeling of feeling like shit. (laughs) Essentially, should I? Yes. Really? Absolutely. how long does that take to subside if, subside if you do do that? So there's a, um, what you're talking about is uh, there's like an immediate need uh, for food. But what really takes place is about 24 hours later, if you can really sustain that long, um, you can sustain this fasting for that long, you'll get into what's called acidosis where your body really starts converting from burning sugar-based energy sources to ketones. Yeah, that's what the keto diet's all about now, isn't it? That, that's a relatively... It's funny because the keto diet, you know, I, um, I haven't bothered to look into the keto diet because it's sort of a, that in itself is a process. But your body naturally does that. So the keto diet is really just your body going into ketosis, right? Yeah. Now yeah. They all, they're a little bit, I, I, would, I would hope anyway, that, and I haven't looked into it, um, I would hope that they've done a good job of restricting carbs where you're not yeah. tricking yourself into like, well, maybe I'm converting the carbs into sugars and burning the sugar. That's, that, that's what the whole diet is. It's no carbs. It's like zero carbs. I think it's just protein and vegetables. Um, that's my understanding of it anyway. Which so is, it's age old anyway. I mean, that's not, there's nothing new about that diet to be quite honest. Um, you know, you think about this, that, when you think about this in, in the terms of biohacking, this, this chassis, our bodies were designed 10, 15,000 years ago, right? And they haven't changed. They haven't evolved that much. We have a very, very long digestive tract, right? Where a dog doesn't. A dog has a very, and they can eat anything. <laughs> and it doesn't like, you know, they don't, you don't see a dog moping around because it's got a bad, oh, I, you know, I, I've got a food hangover or something. <laughs> they don't bitch about stuff like that. We do because this stuff stays with us for a very long time. We actually operate better on less because we were designed to. This eating meals three times a day, that's a social construct. Mm. That's what it is. And, you know, we bought into it. And maybe it's and the same thing with the keto. And I'm not trying to bash keto. It's helping people more than hurting people as far as I'm concerned. What I'm, my argument is that 
Why couldn't you just fast? Why don't you just look into fasting and look at all the benefits? Why do you have to put a label on it trying to make money off of it? You're helping people. So I'm not trying to bash anybody. Don't get me wrong, but let's call it what it is, you know? Um, and it, you're helping people. So I, I've, got, I've got no qualms with that. But the reality of it is, you know, if you prepared yourself and did just a little bit of homework on what it takes to fast and do what your body's designed to do, the benefits would be exponential and you'd save money. Because <laughs> you're eating less, you're spending less money on food. <laughs> My wife loves it. She's like, oh, so we're not cooking. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I must like because I've heard intermittent fasting. So it's like you do what is it, 16 hours of fasting, and then you have an eight-hour window where you can eat, or what what do you recommend is the best way to do it? So this is what I would recommend. Yeah. Um so when you first wake up, you're fasting. You fasted all night. So you've got at least eight hours of of no food, right? Um, I drink coffee and I get my calories from butter and healthy fats, right? Um, if I'm doing any kind of exercise, like say working on the house or something like that, then I'll eat an avocado or, or something like, but that's it. I'll just eat an avocado. Uh, and then towards the end of the night, I might have a little something, uh, but that's it. I stay away from any sugars that don't come from its source, meaning I'll have a piece of fruit, but no no refined sugars or extracted sugars or anything like that because it's not tied to the fiber that nature meant meant for it to, to have yeah. <clears throat> excuse me nigel um but yeah as far as that goes i don't necessarily follow any any specific like you eat during these six hours so you don't eat during these 22 hours or whatever you know you don't do i don't do those kind of things um but uh yeah I believe Dave Asprey's got it laid out on an infograph that we bought in 2013 and it's what kicked off, kicked off everything. And, um, uh, you know, I, I actually think I downloaded that years ago. It's a, it's a big infograph, isn't it? You have to zoom into it and all, there's all these different parts of it. Yeah. 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 I actually downloaded that years ago. I remember that. It's yeah. been, a, I remember seeing it on our fridge for like a year and a half, the first year and a half that we were doing it and it's useful stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's like you fast basically up until around two, two o'clock or so, and you're doing intermittent fasting. You have nothing but coffee up until two o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and then you switch over to a high protein or healthy fat diet and that's it. But I usually push that a little further. Um, and this is me, you know, the whole lightheadedness and the, and the, 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 the hangry or the bitchiness that comes with being uncomfortable and things like that. If you recognize what it is, then you can control your response. And that goes beyond just the intermittent fasting and, and getting yourself through acidosis and, and, and into ketosis and things like that. Um, but if you really want to take ketosis seriously, then you should get a meter and start measuring when you are actually in ketosis and how many molar of ketones are in your blood at any particular time. And they make them. You should be looking in, like, and really understand what ketosis is, you know? And putting yourself in that state now that, yeah, it's a, it's, it's good to be on a diet. It's good to, it, like I said, it, it, it's helping more people than hurting people. And it's getting a positive message out there that it's, it's in my opinion, more in line with the way our body was designed 10 and 15,000 years ago. Right. When, especially when we're living in a time where we don't necessarily listen to that kind of stuff about what our body's actually needing. You know, I could go down that road. Like we're not necessarily meant to live indoors. You know, that's why we have air filters on our air conditioning systems and living around all this, you know, dust and everything and mold and all of that. 
We're not meant to live indoors, man. Yeah. That's a different story and it's Very a different true. lifestyle, but um, you know, um, so yeah. Uh, so, I can go on and on about biohacking. It's just like this maze of uh, wonderment. But what's amazing is if you just started paying attention to your environment and doing little things inside your, 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 yourself, a couple things, um, and maybe it's epigenetic, I don't know, but it, it's a mindset. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not just a, or a diet. In my, a diet is like a, you know, well, you know, it's a, you know, I've got to reach this particular goal because I'm going to go on this diet and I'm going to lose, you know, a pound a day or something like that. And, da, 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 and it's some kind of a goal and, and everything else. I never viewed biohacking as a diet for a specific goal. I just wanted to improve where I was. Um, and, and that sentiment has maintained, I want to improve where I am. So you're talking about essentially for people listening. So essentially it's, it's, a, it's about mental clarity and it's about energy levels. It's increasing your energy levels, having more mental clarity so that you can respond quicker. You can think faster. You can access memory. You can, you know, essentially perform at a higher level. Um, and for me, I mean, yeah, I mean, listening to you talking about this, I'm just going, oh my God, I really need to get into this stuff again because I was curious about it a few years ago. I did do a bit of research on it. Um, but yeah, the, the ketosis, uh, essentially. So what ketosis is, is your body burning fat for its energy reserves. Is that right? That's correct. It's yeah. basically taking fat stores and converting it into, into ketones for your, which is candy for your brain. And that's really what it is. And your liver does it, you know, a liver is, if I think we, I think we, probably need to do a lot more for protecting our livers, considering all of the functions that it does for us. It's incredible. You know, um, you know, we can go on and on, but when it was specifically for, um, well, going back to nootropics, you know, I mentioned adrophenol, adrophenol, adrophenol is naturally occurring, um, vitamin basically. Can you spell that? So it's A D R O F I N I L, is it? Adrophenil. Yes, close to that. Okay, I can't think of it right now. I'm going to look it up. I shut my phones off for the for That's the interview. Good. Good. I'd, be, I'd be fact checking like a madman right now. <laughs> 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 I just didn't want to hear. I just didn't want to have. Uh, it's like 9:30 here in Nashville, Tennessee. So I know my phone is like. Uh, I'd be getting like three or four different text messages through this. So I just shut my phones off. But I'll send you a link to it. Um, but basically, adrophenol is is uh is the precursor to modafinil right modafinil is what you know dave asprey's original claim to fame was um uh, and we can we can create that in our liver the problem is it's about as taxing as drinking every night you know so you have to clean that out you know it 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 causes a rise of enzymes as a byproduct of converting adrophenil to modafinil the modafinil gets secreted into your small intestines and it's not a stimulant, right? It, it's an anti-fatigue uh, agent. So <clears throat> like I'm on modafinil now. I've been taking it for a while. And it, uh, it, the things that you can accomplish, you know, you're basically staving off um, any kind of fatigue throughout the day. I don't need it. But it does cause uh, clarity, um, mental function, 
there are absolute benefits and it isn't cheating if you own it and I own it, you know, absolutely. I'll do it. You know, um, if I wanted to do more, like say if I was writing something, I would reach for something like aniracetam or phenylparacetam or, or something like that, which causes a different sort of chemical reaction to stimulate creativity and, and uh, word recall. Mm. It's a, you know, or oxiracetam if you're doing math. I mean, it's literally, it's just chemicals. You think about this. Watching a movie, Right. I don't know what kind of movies you like, um, but it, you know, I like, like I'm, I'm a huge Marvel fan and God knows I love Godzilla, you know? Um, I I actually went and saw the new Godzilla movie in 3d and it was awesome. Was it good? eh? (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. Um, I saw the Avengers one there. Did you? Endgame, yeah. I only went to see that last week. It was really good. You know, I haven't <laughs> seen it. I haven't seen it. I, I, I love watching video trailers on YouTube and stuff. It's a bit of a little uh, addiction. I, <laughs> I own it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I purposely avoided watching any trailers about Godzilla and uh, purposely avoided any trailers about the Endgame, uh, Avengers Endgame. I just don't want, I want to see it the way the, oh, the director attended intended me to see it you know what i mean so uh and i haven't seen the avengers yet but anyway my point is that's just stimulating chemicals in your brain that's all that is it's it's no different than alcohol or marijuana or bulletproof cough well caffeine anyway um it's just a different stimulus now you think about that you know the people you hang out with your environment it does change your state of mind. Like, you know, you, you, you talk about wanting to get back into biohacking and stuff and you know, it's so easy to do. It's about how you feel when you know you're taking good care of yourself. Mm. And there's a meditative component to that, that you, that, that you carry with you. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, don't, I, don't think you, I don't think we should live in a bubble at all. Um, I think we should live outdoors, quite frankly. Um, but uh, leaving your home, knowing that your home is the healthiest that you can make it, and uh, just having that peace of mind, and knowing that you've done everything you can to protect your gut and to protect your brain, and you're operating just on that that just on a solid baseline. You know what I mean? Mm. Like your reactions are managed. You know why you chose to react the way that you chose because you're coming from a center, a place of center. Now you see where I'm getting into metaphysics and a little bit of meditation here because mm. that matters. So important. You know, if you're not, you know, breathing properly and 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 actually keeping keeping your head in the right state of mind, I'm gonna tell you the best nootropics your brain makes yourself. You know, you can't buy the shit on the street. Mm. You know. Um, and it's really a state of mind, putting yourself in that, um, flow, flow. I mean, you you know, you can, you can talk about flow. Absolutely. All of the different flood of chemicals that come through the flow process coming into flow, what happens when you come out of flow? Um, because that's a, a very real experience as well. It actually, there's a withdrawal. You become a little bit depressed and you should be happy about that because, uh, you know that you're about to cycle into flow again. Mm. Flow can be hacked as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's uh, you can't buy those chemicals on the street either, brother. 
you know, there's exercises, kind of- there's, there's exercises you can do for flow as well. There's certain, uh, you know, certain, um, you know, what are they called? Like routines that you can actually do. And um, some guys online that train them and um, that they work with like, uh, you know, athletes and stuff like that. And they train how to do flow. Um, Jason Silva, I don't know if you know who he is. He, uh, okay. he, Jamie, is it Jamie Wheel? Jamie Wheel has a, has a company now that uh, they're showing people how to go into flow as well. So, I mean, that, that, that's unreal, the stuff online now about flow. And if people don't know what flow is, flow is essentially that state of mind that you get into when you're doing something that you're really good at or something that you love and you enjoy doing. So like athletes, you know, performers, actors, um, you know, people who kind of need to be in a high performance state, the state of flow is how they basically do it. And it's essentially your, your, your peak performance state. That's essentially what flow would be, wouldn't it? And it's, it's, you just, you kind of forget about time. Everything kind of just slows down. You forget about yourself. You become less self-conscious and just more conscious of the moment and what you're doing. And it's, it's just such a beautiful feeling. I mean, I get it when, if I write, I get it doing my podcasts. Sometimes when I get into really, really deep conversations, real spiritual concepts and stuff that I just get into flow. Um, and it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful state to experience, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because you're changing your brain waves. You're changing your brain waves away from your prefrontal cortex where you're basically, that's where consciousness exists, you know, and it, you're getting into these big, beautiful brain waves and all of your, you're just, you're losing, you're losing focus on time and everything else. And that's where creativity really comes from is when you get out, you get away from your inner critic. Right. Yeah. You get out of your own way. You get out of your own negative bullshit and just step aside and let the, you know, let your resourceful self come through and, and express. And yeah, I mean, it's such a, you know, anyone that's kind of uh, into creativity, whether it's art, whether it's writing, whether it's even doing this, like, you know, it's just anything that you enjoy doing. I mean, that's the beauty of it. That's what they say, you know, love what you do. You'll never work a day in your life when you're in flow. I mean, imagine you're working all the time and you're just in flow constantly because you enjoy it. I mean, that's the best way to do it. It's the best way to do yeah, it. Yeah, I can tell you, I, I wasn't sure what I was doing when I was, uh, I'd say your age. Um, well, I was designing, uh, I was designing mechanical automation. Um, I was, uh, let's see, my first, first job out of college was with Black & Decker. It's a power tool manufacturer here in the United States. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I know Black & Decker. We have them over here too. <laughs> I had a, um, it's kind of, I guess you, um, <laughs> I, I worked on the design team for power tools. And uh, I remember some of the flow states that I would get into working with some of the designers and then developing the automation that actually built the, built the, uh, the tools and things. And man, just the creativeness and everything. And then you, you, I, I can recall absolutely like this, this lull um, that you, I mean, you just can't sustain it. Remember your body always wins. There's always going to be some kind of a price to pay. And if you recognize that and you plan for it, well then you sort of mitigated the expense, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not quite as expensive because normally it's your, you know, it's like, what the shit's wrong with me? Well, you know, what's wrong with you, man. Yeah. And if you're conscious of it forward a little bit, if you will, you know, Uh, you just can't sustain that. Um, Those moments of unhappiness are meant to be there to contrast the, the moments of happiness. It's just how it is, you know, Uh, recognizing it is really all you can do, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so true. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, CBD oil? Um, 
you know, the last while in Ireland now, it's really, really taken off. Um, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, investors and all getting involved in the industry with regards to investing in, in stocks and stuff like that. So can you talk about your, uh, you, know, what, you know, your insights into CBD oil and the future of that industry, the cannabis industry? Might surprise you. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. <laughs> all right. It may surprise you. It may surprise you. Uh, I looked into CBD oil and I can tell you it's the Bitcoin. It's the next Bitcoin. Yeah. That's exactly. Oh, that's so funny that you said that. Well, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Um, all of the benefits for taking CBD oil, right? Hmm. You can find in another essential oil, which is CBD is not an essential oil, right? Hmm. There's a, uh, a secondary process that takes place in your body before the CBD oil can be processed and absorbed correctly, right? Mm. So, and it's only going to hit one set of um, cannabinoid receptors. There is a essential oil that is less expensive. It's not as sexy um, because it isn't tied to the legalization of marijuana, which is all CBD really is, right? Yeah. Exactly. Let's just be honest. Uh, that's why it's making the money that it's making, right? Um, it hits both sets of cannabinoid receptors and it does it directly. Okay. So you don't need a fourth of the dose. And actually, the other thing is typically the doses of CBD oil, are, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is the doses that they recommend for CBD oil are grossly underestimated because underestimated. like I said, it's a secondary, a uh, secondary process for CBD to be absorbed into your body. So you have to take quite a bit more. They say it accumulates over time. You have to take it for a certain period of time for it to actually start affecting you properly. I, I haven't right. done that. I've taken it a few times. I, I bought some, I don't know, strong, I think it was 10% or whatever that, you know, they have different percentages yeah. or whatever. And uh, I took it like for two or three days and I didn't like the effects. I'm very sensitive to stuff. So, you know, I, I noticed a, a change in my psychology. I was just a bit too emotional about things. I was a bit too sensitive. I don't know what it was. I just didn't like it. So I just stopped taking it. Hmm. Um, do you well, know there shouldn't be any kind of psychotropic effect from it at all. Yeah. There shouldn't be any at all. Um, that's not what this is about. All of the psychotropic chemicals have been refined out of it. At least it should have been. If yeah. you got a good quality CBD oil, right, that's refined, then it should have literally less than trace amounts of, of THC or any psychotropic ingredients at all. It's, that's not what that's about at all. So. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm just super sensitive to stuff like that, but I definitely noticed the difference. Um, Did you? Yeah, I definitely noticed. Like, I, and people, I, even the girl that sold it to me in the health shop, she said, yeah, if you take, take that amount, you'll actually feel it. Um, you know, mm. so for me, it just made, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like it. I wanted, I wanted to take it for clarity. I wanted to take it for creativity, but it kind of worked nearly the opposite with me. So, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? But I mean, the whole thing about the industry, though, the CBD industry and the cannabis industry, I mean, obviously there's going to be massive billions and billions of dollars going into it over the next few years. There's a lot of guys online now uh, promoting stocks and stuff like that to get involved in. And as you say, the Bitcoin thing, I mean, it was, that's exactly what Bitcoin was like four or five years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you're an investor, Dave, so I'd like to hear your professional you know, investor opinion with regards to getting involved in that industry uh, financially. Well, I can tell you that the, um, it, it, this is going back to um, 
you know, uh, uh, just your basic, your, your basic investing uh, protocols, if you will, you know, don't play with money you can't afford to lose, right? If you want to play around with it, great, do it. Don't expect it to last, but ride that wave and know when to get out, right? Don't hang on to it too long. I'll give you a perfect example. We'll go back to Bitcoin for a second, right? Do I think, do I think, <clears throat> do I think, Meryl, um, do I think CBD is going to follow the same exact uh, trajectory as, um, as Bitcoin? No, I think there's too many, too many different variables. Um, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's sexy. I think it's going to grow. I think there's a, any kind of growth you should be a part of. Don't bet the farm on it, you know, and don't think that it's going to always have a skeptical look at it. You know, be ready to pull out. Um, but yeah, never, I would say never have a gambling mentality. It. I'm sorry. I said never have a gambling mentality with something like that. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, they. It, it, I would definitely say always stay skeptical. Stay uh, and and be a little bit more conservative. Be a part of it. Get involved. Uh, Bitcoin, same thing. I'll tell you the story about Bitcoin. I got involved with Bitcoin and I bought Bitcoins at 200 bucks, right? Uh, from a tip from a friend of mine who's actually Gina's cousin uh, in Waco, Texas, who's a very successful guy. He's a business mentor of mine. Um, and he mentioned this Bitcoin thing and I was like, ah, okay, you know, I'll throw a couple bucks at it and everything else. And I was buying these things that, you know, whenever I had a spare hundred bucks or something like that, I was like, ah, oh, you know what? And I'll, I'll set this up when I was like, literally it was like playing cards. And it's kind of where the Bitcoin thing took off was literally at baseball trading cards and Dungeons and Dragons things. If you go back and really look at the history of Bitcoin and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, it became amazing, right? I started looking at, oh my gosh, man, look at this. And then, uh, I think it was like Bitcoin cash split and then whatever money I had in, in this one particular coin um, uh, during August, uh, August of something, 2015 or 16, whatever money I had in one, because it split, it was doubled into another one. So I was like, holy shit, man, this is, <laughs> this is retarded, right? It was amazing. And uh, like I said, I started buying Bitcoin at 200 bucks. Here's why I got out. The whole idea behind Bitcoin was it was unregulated. That was its novelty. And when Coinbase, the largest digital wallet uh, website out there, I remember following this, the, um, when they lost their battle with the IRS about regulating uh, transactions, Bitcoin transactions, I got out. Mm. Before, uh, when, they, when they lost... IRS lost. I said, that's it. You've well, lost the novelty of it. And ever since then, it's been crap. Okay. So what, what, what was the trading at when you exited? 19,000. Oh my God. It's just, <laughs> you got in at 200 and yeah. you got out at 19,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We oh, did well. That is um, I think Merrill, I, I think CBD, <laughs> uh, I think CBD, let me get back to CBD for a second. They, um, Why CBD? Why do you think CBD is what it's doing, what it's doing right now? All the health benefits, right? 
or what? What what attracted you oh, to it's try? Because of, it's because of the drug culture. It's because of people, you know, it's the tabooness of it all. Well, this is my opinion. You know, people, you know, obviously, well, yeah, but then again, there is a lot of stuff online about all the benefits and, you know, with the cannabinoid receptors and all that type of stuff. And, you know, there's only certain things in the brain that can be activated by it. And you can't find it in any other substance. Um, all these different things. So I, I suppose it's, it's a mix of attractions um, for people. For me, the reason I experimented with it was because I wanted to see if it could boost my creativity and, um, you know, mental clarity and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm sure everybody's got their own reasons for, for experimenting with that type of stuff. I'm just, I'm kind of curious about it because I, um, I was drawn to it for the same reasons, you know, and uh, I looked into like a multi-level marketing approach to promoting it. My wife and I both did. We set up a couple different websites. We thought about, you know, doing some affiliated marketing and things like that. And um, we started looking more into essential oils and there is an essential oil that kicks its ass. Yeah. It's just not sexy. Yeah, I forgot to, I forgot <laughs> not, to ask you, what the hell is the name of it? What, what essential oil? Oh, it's, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, it's, it's called uh, Copaiba. Copaiba. And it comes from a tree in South America. And you literally can go and just tap that tree Put a spigot in that tree, and this copaiba will come out. And um, that's and it, it's a it's oh, a yeah. it's an essential oil. There is no uh, there's wow. no secondary processing in your body. There's nothing there's and it hits both uh, both cannabinoid receptors uh, with you know uh, uh, with a lot less um, with four times the potency. Wow. So you're taking less of a product, uh, you know, taking less of a dose uh, and you're hitting both receptors and getting benefits um, that only CBD up until now could offer. So that means it's a, a more potent dose then, is it, Dave? There you go, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I couldn't resist. But the fact of the matter is it's less expensive. It's easier to refine. It's not, le- uh, it's not illegal and... Uh, it's not, um, it's not a dangerous kind of thing. So therefore it's not sexy. And that's why money's not being dumped into it. But if you're looking strictly for the health benefits, there it is. The science is undeniable, you know, so, but it isn't sexy. And so that's why I go back to saying, you know, CBD oil is, as, um, it's in, in my mind, it is, um, it is very similar to, to Bitcoin. You know, it, there's a novelty to it. There's a sexiness to it. There's a mysterious component to it, a little danger and all that kind of the stuff. And, these marketers get off on this type of stuff, though, you know, marketing the hype of something, you know, and, oh, you can get in on this and you can get, you know, you can get rich and, you know what I mean, this type of stuff. And people sure. feed off that, you know, and you think you have to have an objective, uh, you know, view on things to see. Don't believe the hype, you know. Everybody knows that song, Don't Believe the Hype. That's and right. That's, got to be objective with these things and don't get carried away with them um you know and do but your- you know what look if someone you know uh with a healthy dose of, of of skepticism make some money you know what the hell yeah absolutely. you know I've, I've debated this with my wife a couple of times you know uh not for nothing but i you know living the lifestyle that i make when it comes to money you know there's no emotion to that you know, it's not tied to my identity in any way, shape, or form. It's 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 its own separate energy source, and that's what it is: is energy, right? So you know, I test that by 
by asking a question with my lifestyle the way that it is right now, would you have invested in Monsanto years ago? Ah, see, see, but the fact of the matter is, you know, though, I wouldn't be talking to you now if you did. <laughs> well, you know, but that's the thing. But that's money, though. You wouldn't be talking yeah. about money. But that's business. And I'm not saying it's uh, it's unethical or anything, because there's a lot of other people out there that have invested in Monsanto. Well, and of course, but I just mean from a personality perspective, I don't think your life would have gone down this path. You know, I don't know. We make choices based on our, on our morals and our ethics. And we're not going to get involved with something if we believe it's morally wrong. You know, even if it's, you know, good business to get involved in it. Do you know what I mean? Would you agree with that or maybe not? What do you think? Uh, You're not going to, it's like, it's like been a, you know, getting involved, investing in weapons, you know, for, for a war that you don't want to happen. Yeah, would, the world. Do you know what I mean? I it's hypocritical. Like, like that. Exactly. No. That's what I mean. It's hypocritical. So <clears throat> at the end of the day, you know, is there a reason why you didn't get involved in Monsanto? <laughs> uh, my own personal ethos. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, right. Just yeah. my own personal ethos. It's not, it's not something my, my, my point for challenging that is um, you buy into a mutual fund, right? You want to do the research into that mutual fund to see, you know, if it's, um, it's something that matches your ethos or, or obviously to say the least, you're going to look into it to see, you know, how it's been performing. Right. Yeah. Um, the law of averages dictate that. So you're, you're, you're just as likely to pick the best performing mutual fund as you are to pick the worst performing mutual fund of any given year, right? So it doesn't matter where you put your money as far as that goes. You need to pay attention to it. Don't get me wrong, but don't be hesitant because you think you're going to pick the worst one. You're just as likely to pick the best one, you know, yeah. do your research, look into it. Would I pull my money out of a well-performing, and this is really the ethos, this really challenges the, the, the thing. If, if Monsanto was one of the stocks offered in a mutual fund that was well-diversified and making good money, yeah. would I pull my money out of it? Mm, probably not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, when you yeah, make yeah. the decision easy, when you make the decision easy and you, you um, you know, it really tests just how staunch you are with your, your own ethics, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Money and it, you know, maybe it's not really hurting and maybe I only owe just a portion of it or something like that, but is it making money? Now you can talk about those kind of ethics if you want to. The fact of the matter is, you know, um, I know that you would never tend well, I don't, I know I would never intentionally go out and buy Monsanto stock. Yeah. Right. But I also know that in business, the more emotion I put into business and whenever you're dealing with money, it's business, right? Um, the more emotion I put into that, you know, uh, the more likely things are, are, are not going to go to plan. Mm. You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, this is the great. 11th house I've owned. And um, but the we designed one, the house. The first one we've got uh, we have a lot of emotions invested in this house and everything else and, and everything else. All of the houses that led me up to this one could give a damn about. Mm. I could give a damn about it. And there's a part of me that would sell this house today if somebody made me the right offer. I mean, gave me a fair offer. I would seriously consider it. My wife and I both would because it's business. You know, this is a little different because we have such an emotional tie to it because of how we went about it or we designed it, blah, 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 blah. But like I said, you know, what my money does, even though I own that money, 
is not a reflection of me necessarily, right? You hire somebody to manage that money and you hold them to task, your money manager, right? Mm-hmm. And as a, I'll speak it as an investor. If you're hiring a money manager, it's your responsibility to manage that person, right? You need to have very specific goals and you need to not be afraid to ask for them. And this gets into a little bit of, you know, um, I think owning, owning money is, it requires austerity, not compassion. And what I mean by that is when I get on the phone with my money manager, right? And if things are going well, I have less to say to him because that's what I expect. It's what I'm paying him to do, right? If things are going badly, I raise absolute holy hell with him. I put a boot on his throat and I want to make sure that he understands this is not acceptable. And the reason why I don't feel badly about that is because any, any decent money manager is going to have the responsibility of having tens tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of assets under management. If that person is responsible for that level of uh, um, financial responsibility, mm. if that person doesn't have any kind of training on, on having difficult conversations, then they shouldn't be doing so, this. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're talking about literally hundreds of millions of dollars of assets under managements between all of their clients, right? And they're responsible for making that money grow. I don't want to hear excuses, man. If I hire you to cut the grass, <laughs> I don't need to bitch. I, I don't need to hear you bitching that you don't have any gasoline. Okay. I don't need to hear it. You know, I expect my grass to be cut. What I expect is to not hear a damn thing. Mm. I just expect my grass to be cut and I expect you to cash the check. You know what I mean? That's what I, that's expected. So that's the service they're offering you in the first place. That was the presumption of why you got involved with them in the first place was to provide that. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. And if they can't, you know, um, and you know that these guys, uh, you know that these guys have taken classes or or courses or they owe themselves that, uh, that investment in themselves, uh, investment of knowledge on how to manage critical conversations because they're dealing with the, they're dealing, when I say critical conversations, I mean conversations that have an emotional loading. And, uh, you know, that's money has uh, money, any conversations about money has an emotional loading. Mm. You know, you can, you can look at, I don't know how many couples, couple friends or whatever, <laughs> they bitch about money. It's one of the number one things that they fight about, right? Yeah. So it's because it's so emotionally loaded, right? And you can't tell me that these people don't, these money managers can't handle the pressure. No. So um, you just have to have the austerity to say, F this, I don't accept it. So how would, you, accept it. How would you define the term austerity in the way that you use it? Firm, rigidity, uh, uncompromising. It's what you'd expect from, you know, a government in, in some way. I, like, they're meant to protect us. You know, they have a job to do, you know. So it's, um, essentially, it's essentially a moral standing. It's essentially. Yeah. It's, a, it's an absolute obligation, you know. It's, um, absolutely. You know, you have to have that. Uh, you, you have to be able to count on some kind of a handrail. And that handrails needs to be solid. That's that, 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 that assurity that you can grab this thing 
and know you're okay. That comes from austerity. And I expect that from people that are going to be managing my money or uh, taking care of my clients, you know, um, you know, it, it, because that's what they're expecting from me. My, meaning the families that I take care of, they are expecting me to take care of their loved ones. And I have to have a, a well, it's like potent doses sort of tagline, right? It's a, it's a balance of austerity and compassion. And to truly be compassionate, you need a balance of that austerity. You need to have the guts to say the truth. I love that, man. I love that. I'm having so. some realizations <laughs> popping off inside my uh, moral mindset here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, what is it? In the simplest terms, it's, it's a promise. It's fulfilling a promise. You know, if somebody promises to do something or provide a service or manage your money or make you money or whatever the hell it is, it's a promise. It's fulfilling a promise, you know, and if somebody makes a promise, it's their moral obligation to fulfill the damn thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, don't you think we just tested the austerity of not buying Monsanto stock? <laughs> because what if it was blended into a well-performing mutual fund? Would you still have the austerity to say, F that, I don't want to have anything to do with these people, right? Mm. Do you have the sand to say, sell it? Depends on how, con how much conviction you have in your, it, it depends, man. I mean, if, if you're asking me straight out what my answer would be, I'd have to think about it. I have to, I have to yeah. think about it at the end of the day. Yeah, because it's like, okay, it can make you a lot of money, but then, so are you allowing greed to outweigh morality? Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, you could go with it. Oh, you could have a whole podcast on this type of stuff, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Without money, how can they change, right? Yeah. Do you want to just crush the company? Because they're not hurting everybody. They're still, there's, there's, you know, and I'm not trying to dog out Monsanto. I'm just saying they're the lightning rod as far as that goes. And they're, I don't know what they're, how they're performing today or anything, but, you know, God knows that they're, you know, they're, they're out there. They're a, public offering and you they're, know, they're not killing everybody, but they're certainly causing problems. Yeah, absolutely. Glycos, you know, and, glycos fight um, on that other thing that they use, Roundup. All the yeah. controversy that's been going on about that, causing cancer causing and all that type of stuff. I mean, yeah, so I mean, they need to be regulated in some way with regards to the stuff they use um, in their crops or whatever, you know? So in my opinion, but sure, that's another, that's another topic of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> the but, same uh, thing with CBD. So the same yeah. thing with CBD. Uh, so, you know, CBD, this is David McNamara's opinion about CBD oil. Is it the most effective way to achieve uh, health benefits in which it's being promoted upon? No, it's not. It's not. Uh, there's clinical, uh, countless clinical studies that show that it's not. It's being promoted to pave the way for marijuana. Mm. Yeah. Right, it's making it's it's causing a social acceptance. Yes, um, yes. it's been leveraged. Uh, it's been leveraged to to be yeah, yeah exactly. It's been leveraged for social. Acceptance. So there's other ways to make there, there's other ways there's more effective ways to achieve the same health benefits without allowing CBD oil uh, uh, to in some cases this to cause sort of a. Um, I don't know, this is going to get really dangerous here, but is the, the, the fact of the matter is what it really boils down to, do you in fact consider um, legalizing marijuana as a, 
as social decay, a potential social decay. Do you? And that's well, you could okay, have said the same thing about alcohol. You know what I mean? Back in the twenties. I mean. Oh yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Me personally, uh, I, I'm, I. It depends on. I how don't have a hangup about marijuana. Uh, as a matter of fact, it kept my appetite up while I was uh, going through chemotherapy. So, and I own that, right? And I've used marijuana since. But like, if, but, you, look, if you look at like the Netherlands, right? So Holland, where it's been legal for years, like most people over there don't really smoke it. It's the tourists that come over and smoke it because it's a novelty. <laughs> you know, the people in Holland are like, oh, oh, no, it's legal. I don't care. I, you know, I don't smoke. It doesn't, you know, because it's not taboo. It's not a taboo thing. It's not, it's not being held back from the people. It's, you know, right. like, really, and people just, they don't care about it. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. And I think that's another thing. So if, if marijuana is legalized, which it will be, you know, it's, it's not going to have the same taboo as it does in this generation. I mean, in two generations time or in the next, you know, 10 years time down the line, people probably aren't going to care that much because it's legal and it's not going to be taboo. So it's not, it's going to lose its, uh, do you know what I mean? It's going to lose that appeal in a sense because it's not, it's not rebelling against something. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, all the, you know, you think about prohibition and all of the smuggling and, uh, of, of alcohol here in the United States and everything else, all of that trouble went away when they legalized uh, alcohol, you know? Um, so, I mean, you know, uh, do I think it's a social decay? I think it's a change. Um, I can't really tell. I think there's a lot of other things that are causing social decay faster. Well, alcohol, uh, alcohol certainly has caused social decay for a long, long time. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about addictive substances. Mm. You know, I think, I think, uh, I mean, uh, quite honestly, I, I think um, news outlets here in the United States are causing more social decay oh, yeah. than marijuana does. To be perfectly honest, I, I think there's, uh, there, there's other agents um, that are much more disruptive Lame stream um, media. Lame stream, <laughs> <lame> stream <laughs> <lame> media. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, you know, um, I just don't like. I just don't like things being promoted under false pretenses, and that part is deceptive, and I don't like it. That part I don't like. Now, as far as that goes, you know, um, under under those guidelines, I would invest in in, in CBD with no problem at all. And when marijuana becomes legalized and it becomes a public offering or even a private, I would invest in somebody promoting it privately. Absolutely. Oh yeah. You know, um, I'd probably, um, there's no mistake. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a revolution. I mean, it's, there's no mistake. It's going to be massive. It's going to be multi, multi billion dollar industry. There's no mistake. I mean, look at hemp as well. I mean, all the stuff you can, you can make clothes out of it. You can make rope out of it. You can make net, you know what I mean? I mean, there's so many different things, um, you know, that can be utilized from it, you know, and I think it's, it's a very exciting time to be around uh, to witness that. But I just wanted to talk to you, Dave, a little bit about, um, you said about you wanted to franchise your current business. And when I was asking you what your, what your, you know, your vision was for the next few years. So could you go into a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I enjoy talking with you, man. I, I do. I can't wait to meet you in London in a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's not even a couple of weeks. It's next week. It's next week, man. Yeah. The 27th. Awesome. 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 Um, what we're doing with our company is, uh, a little bit different. Um, When Jean and I needed help with her mother, um, we engaged a couple of different caregiving companies. And what we found 
despite their best efforts. Look, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get on the airwaves here and start bashing people like Monsanto and a few other things. I'll let those people just, you know, I, I want your listeners to make up their own minds as far as that goes, you know, mm. um, our experience with some of the larger, um, caregiving companies, um, our personal experience was not, not what, not what we wanted. It, it was very unsatisfactory for us. And to be very precise about what was wrong is the, there was a corporate insensitivity uh, in dealing with larger corporations or franchise corporations um, that, you know, you could call it corporate bureaucracy or whatever, but regardless from our perspective as a client, it was insensitive. It was a, a corporate insensitivity and it happens with everything. Uh, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. That's the threat that I, or my, uh, that's the threat to my business. And that's the threat to, uh, that's the challenge that I, uh, that I'm overcoming with uh, the way that I structured my business. Um, I don't have any middle, not to, not, not to get too deep into my business or how it's structured, but I can tell you that I am, I could be more successful on a multitude of uh, indicators, financially, effectiveness for taking care of uh, uh, our clients, customer satisfaction, if you will, um, all of that. I can do that um, more consistently with less people. Oh yeah. It's just a matter of employing a few basic techniques, setting expectations right up front with employees, Hiring the best employees, which there are very specific techniques to use. You know, I kind of hacked that too, <laughs> you know, uh, but there, and, and, then, and then offering a very consistent um, set of circumstances uh, that typically aren't offered. And it, it can be done with common sense things. And then, you know, obviously it's, the, the, the biggest challenge for me is how do I expand the business and um, I won't say franchise it, but branch it out uh, as much as possible and not sacrifice uh, the boutique style and create this corporate insensitivity, which was the epitus of us starting our business to begin with, you know? Um, was, that, was that company, was it public or private? My company? No, the the ones that you were talking about before. I don't know that they were publicly traded. I won't say their name uh, because there's, you know. Um, just because I if just, they were public, obviously, there's a lot more red tape with regards to, you know, that side of things with shareholders and stuff like that. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think the reason was that there was this corporate insensitivity? Do you think it was just greed? It was just, you know what I mean? What, what, what were your kind of personal views on it? Well, you know, it's funny. I thought about that. I really kind of thought about what went wrong. You know, you have to go to your war room. You have to think about, you know, how am I going to architect a business that's immune to, to, to some of the things that my wife and I uh, experienced? You know, how do I, you know, what did they do? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? And, you know, obviously I'm going to adopt the things and, uh, and develop things that I think we're doing right and promote those. Um, I suppose it's about creating a culture within your organization, isn't it? It's about creating a morally and ethically sound 
uh, culture and kind of mission statement that people can operate from as a foundation. Um, no, absolutely. You know, and here's the thing, speaking about culture, and that's exactly what led me to, uh, that's exactly where this, this investigation led me. Like, what are they doing wrong? It leads me to one of the reasons why I started Potent Dose Radio uh, as a podcast. One of the first things I'm doing with Potent Dose is discussing what I've learned over the years as a cancer survivor, as a client uh, for the caregiving companies, meaning cancer survivor being uh, was I was a direct care recipient. Mm. You know, um, now I was also a client that hired caregiving companies uh, with Gina's mother, and uh, now I'm a provider. And I want to share some of those experience. This is what really got me. The culture of this industry is reactive. People never see this coming, Nigel. They just don't see it coming. They don't, it's just a surprise that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, mom, mom, you know, needs this or dad needs that, or, you know, here we are at this and they're faced, you know, they, they, they're face to face with this, uh, you know, aging process when they're already living a stressed out, um, you know, redlining the engine lifestyle. And your first inclination is just to wrap your arms around it. Well, this is my mom or this is my dad or this is my loved one. No one else is going to take care of them better than me. So I'm going to make room and da, 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 da. Well, on top of that, you're chasing your kids around and doing laundry and grocery shopping and what's for dinner and who's paying the bills. And we got to take care of mom. You know, that's what I hear from clients more often than not. And uh, it's reactive the caregiving companies that we dealt with anyway, uh, were also just as reactive, you know, uh, they didn't, they're, you know, they would, they would promise you a couple of different things. And that I think in my heart, I want to believe that they, they had every intention of making those promises come true. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they're not investing in their, in the, in the people that actually make the, uh, make the company function, which is the caregivers. That, exactly. that is their business. Yeah. You know, they're just there to facilitate those caregivers making a living. Yeah, it's all funny that of that because of traditional thinking of uh, of business in general. Well, I'm your boss, or I am your manager, or I am your leader, and blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. They're not thinking in terms of a facilitator. You know, you think about hierarchies of business; they're sort of like an umbrella, right? And one of the first things I did was flip the umbrella. My position exists to take care of those caregivers. Mm. Caregivers aren't there um, to take care of me. Everything else falls into place when you flip it over, every bit of it. I can't possibly take care of every one of my clients, right? And in some cases, it's inappropriate. And I know we have professional male caregivers, but I, in my mind, I know that my mother-in-law would not have been comfortable with me helping her uh, in certain capacities yeah. uh, because I'm a gentleman and you know she's, uh, she's a lady, if you will. <clears throat> so. There are certain boundaries that I believe in anyway. Um, like I said, we still have professional caregivers, male caregivers. Uh, but um, I can certainly take care of the caregivers. And if I do that, I'm taking care of my business because they are the business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you'd be amazed at how, how simple of an approach that is. You know, we have typically we have scheduling coordinators in the industry that uh, their job exists to move caregivers from one house to the next, to the next, to the next, and keep them all hustling and moving and da, 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 and everything else. 
Nigel, I've never had a care, uh, a scheduling coordinator here and I never will. Scheduling people to be with clients is a task of a manager. It's not a position to be managed because mm. that position drives up the cost. Yeah. We don't do that here. I'd rather, uh, I would rather set the expectation with the caregivers, meet with the clients, stay with the clients, develop that rapport so that they can effectively help them. Uh, you know, um, and, and, and we all live a more stable life. It makes you more know? sense to do it that way, of course, because they're going to develop a relationship with the, you know, with the, with the caregiver, you know, with the counting on it. You know what I mean? And that's the whole point because then they're going to, they're going to gel together. They're going to have a, it's going to be a better experience for everyone involved as opposed to just kind of putting people in blocks for a certain period of time. And the funny thing is that you're talking about this. My mom literally was working for a company over in the UK, not, not so long ago. I think it was about six months ago. And uh, she was basically, same situation. She was basically getting moved from house to house to house. She'd go to a house where she really, really liked the people. They really liked her. They wanted her to stay. But she had to move on. And she didn't want to move on. She wanted to stay. I mean, what, what the hell? What, what logic? You know, what sort of logic was behind that? I mean, you know, they, they got on really well. They wanted her to stay. Um, and the company said, no, you have to go and work for someone else. You know, it's ridiculous. That specifically is the corporate insensitivity. They don't give a shit yeah. about that relationship. And let me give you an example, right? I ask a caregiver, how long do you think it would take for your clients to feel comfortable with you helping them take a shower? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How long would it take for them to feel comfortable, like, you know, being completely vulnerable, completely exposed with someone that, you know, they don't know? How long would you feel? How long would it take you to feel comfortable? Well, the answer is never. <laughs> never. That's exactly right. And it's no different for our clients. The fact of the matter is nobody ever gets comfortable with it. They surrender to it. And I know this from personal experience. You surrender to it because you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice, yeah. So you try to be as comfortable as you possibly can. You know what I mean? And you, I try and create that with, uh, you know, with our caregivers by longevity and stability. And I'm counting on them to have a relationship and a rapport. And just like I hold my, 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 uh, my investment manager to a certain standard, you know, um, and I expect him to be trained and having difficult conversations, right? In the same way, I would expect my caregivers and we train our caregivers to think in terms of nobody ever gets comfortable being naked in front of another person. And we are viewed as a stripping of independence. Mm. Nobody's comfortable with that, Nigel. Absolutely not. Absolutely. It can be, you can feel violated. You can feel it's demeaning, you know, in a certain way it's demeaning as well. You can feel that way. I mean, somebody who's lived their life independently, you know, they've stood on their own two feet. They've paid their own bills for years. They've, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they have to get their fucking uh, pajamas changed by somebody and they have to get help getting lifted off the toilet. You know, it's, I mean, the story babies, built houses, fought wars. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, can you, oh God, I mean, I can, I can totally relate to that. I can totally yeah. relate to that. And all you, it only takes, it, what's really interesting to me is, uh, do I think my company is different? You bet your ass. Um, does it, is it necessarily better? Eh, it's up to the uh, people that, that I do business with here. I can tell you that I, I love my approach. I like the way that things are going. I like, uh, I like the way that we've turned things around where, 
all I need is a handful of the best caregivers I can find in a city. And I take care of those caregivers and everything else falls into place after that. I know my care, my clients are, they are getting the absolute best I can find in that city. Now, just because I have that handful complete doesn't mean I don't continue to look for the handful and constantly try and find the best. It is a process and it's a vigil, uh, a vigilant due diligence Mm. to not accept things that are just uh, people chronically calling out and, and and things like that and and creating this sort of um, cultural spillover you know, from, well, there's no reason for me to get to know these clients because somebody's going to pull me out of here anyway. Not here. Mm. That's not what we do here. You know? Um, so it's, it, it's, it's sort of a constant vigilant search and, and, and just trying to find the, that handful of uh, rock solid people. And, you know, but the that's beauty, the beauty of what you're doing, Dave, is that like you're essentially disrupting that industry in a sense with regards to the morals and the ethics of how the business is run. And the beauty of that is, is that word of mouth. I mean, you have some, some people who've been taken care of by your caregivers and they start telling people about those people. They start, you know, start spreading in the community on Facebook. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's massive potential there uh, with regards to that because that's essentially a revolution, you know, in that mode of business. And that's what's needed because people can't. I mean, especially in their retirement years and stuff like that. And they've just been treated that way like a number. They're essentially been treated like a number, you know? And, uh, oh, absolutely. Families have been treated like numbers. And uh, it, it, it's just a revolving door. I mean, we had people show up at our door that didn't know if they were taking care of a man or a woman. The caregiver would show up middle of the night, you know, 11 o'clock at night because it was her shift. And going, I hope I'm at the right door. You know, and uh, the more people that I've hired, and it's also interesting too, because one of the struggles I've had, <clears throat> one of the struggles I've had over the years, it also led me to, to doing podcasting actually, in a way. Um, promoting a business like this is tricky. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's a level of discretion that I think is inherent with what we do, you know, and uh, we, you know, uh, I know you've seen these cars with the graphic wraps on them, you know, uh, they're like rolling billboards. Mm. We oh, actually yeah. have caregiving companies that have that here. And I think, you know, it, they just completely missed the point. The whole concept behind that is in my opinion, wrong, but I recognize what they're doing. They have to get their word out. They have to, they have to promote their business, but at what expense? You know what I mean? Mm. So um, I don't think that's the best approach. I think it's an approach. It, it is an approach. I just don't, I'm not in alignment with it at all. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, just because somebody needs help doesn't mean they forfeited their dignity or their privacy. Mm. And having one of those cars pull up in your front yard or, you know, pull up in your driveway, just blasts your business all over your neighborhood. Mm. It's offensive. Yeah. You know, yeah. So there's a balance. So how do you promote a company like this uh, and still protect the dignity and privacy of the people you intend to take care of? Well, I suppose when they're doing their call outs, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be rolling up in a, fecking, in a big 
you know, brand logo vehicle that's, as you said, advertising it to the neighborhood. So they have to have a bit of discretion, I suppose, when they're dealing with their clients, don't they? <laughs> well, it's certainly the clients I deal with don't want to see that kind of thing. And uh, they absolutely don't want their neighbors to see that kind of thing. And uh, to me, it's just, I don't, it's not necessarily just my particular clients. Uh, my clients are, you know, I'm obviously more relevant to my clients, but I don't think anybody likes that. No. I, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that for anybody I know, you know, it's just, to me, it's wrong, but how else do you promote your business? I'm not doing this by any means, by any means, there's no way I would do that, but it is that word of mouth um, Mm. and showing that we are in fact doing something different. We don't have middle management here, you know, Uh, and part of that business model is what I've documented and we are promoting that, someone buys a franchise from me, a license from me, or if someone wants to open a branch, um, they need to understand that they have a responsibility and I'm measuring them. Mm. And that is at any given time, any one of their clients can by, by speed of text message Mm. can be in contact with that owner. Uh, and that's our culture. That's what's promised. Um, Absolutely. That's the best way to regulate it. That's the best way to regulate it. Because that means people aren't going to get mistreated. And you know, they're going to be happy with their situations. And that's the whole point of it. In the first place, you're taking care of people. (laughs) You know, (laughs) caregiving, maybe they need to go back to the drawing board with regards to how they define uh, what that word means. You know, it's funny, because it, it, it really is interesting. I have never loved that word caregiving. I think it is the word care has been uh, played out what they're hiring. And I can tell you right now, I didn't, I didn't need a caregiver and my mom doesn't need a caregiver. Uh, my old man didn't need a caregiver. They needed fucking guardians. Mm. They needed bulldogs. They needed someone that's going to protect them. They needed from every aspect of their finances to the, not that we touch people's money. That's illegal, but um, it's unethical and it's illegal, but they're not going to be these, these guardians protect our loved ones from scammers Mm. uh, that call constantly bombard our people with mail, uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. And, keep them from falling down, you know, um, that's what this is about. And this whole angelic component of, uh, you know, caring hearts and things like that. Yeah, of course, you know, that's, it's not like we, we opened up a car shop, a a tire shop or something. We didn't, we didn't open up a local pub. You know why we're here, but with us, you can expect a bulldog. You can expect a guardian. Yeah. People that work here kick ass. And the, the, they actually care about the people that they're caring for. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, going to share this with, I'm going to share this with you because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very discreet technique that I use for interviewing people for this industry. And I've, now I've never said it publicly before. And I'm going to share it with you. Um, when I interview people over the past, uh, since 2011, I couldn't tell you how many people I've interviewed. Um, I ask one question, you know, there's a lot of questions that lead up to a face-to-face meeting with my caregivers. Obviously there's, there's, uh, you, you have to do this process of elimination 
And uh, any, any manager, any business owner, anybody that's ever been in charge of hiring people, when you are stacked with 50 applicants, you look for reasons to get rid of them and hone in. It's literally a process of elimination. It isn't, it isn't pretty, but that's the process, right? So limit, you know, for any applicants, any caregiver applicants that are out there just that are listening to this, just understand, give me, you know, eliminate the reasons to say no, and you'll probably get an interview. You know, <clears throat> the question that I ask is, um, I ask them to, to share a story with me about when they were a guardian for a client, right? I want you to share a story of when you stood up for a client and you protected them or you did something that you knew was right for that client and that no one else was doing and you needed to take action. And I listen, right? Hmm. So uh, a couple things will happen. Um, one, they, they either will have a story or they won't. Sadly, they, the bulk of them have stories where they had to protect their clients. That's just the sad truth of it. The ones that don't have a story, <clears throat> I can't hire them. They don't have enough experience yet. Interestingly enough, the ones that cry during the story, I can't hire them either. As emotionally based as this industry is, they lack experience. Um, they know what they're in for. You can accidentally become a caregiver. Just love someone that gets sick and you'll find a way to take care of them. You become a care caregiver. When you put in an application as a professional, you know what you're in for. Mm. And I respect you for it. You know, um, but we have to be emotionally strong. That's what they're counting on. Our families are counting on. Then things get interesting. So what happens is people who have a story, right? They'll start feeding me details. You know, they'll start feeding me details that tell them, that tell me more about their experience. Like, well, uh, this client had this and they lived at this house, they lived in this area and, you know, they needed a gate belt and we had to serve on this kind of thing. And da, 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 da. they'll give all these little details that they can't possibly make up because their memory is being jogged. And all of these flood of details is driving towards living this thing, uh, reliving this moment that where they were emotionally charged to take action. Right. Hmm. And that's what I'm seeking out. This is a bit of a hack, by the way. Hmm. Um, so I'll get all these flooded details and they will tell me more about their working experiences, like using Hoyer lifts or gate belts or, or, you know, dietary habits and all those kind of things. They'll get into all those details, but here's where things get interesting, right? They always adjust their seat. They'll always sit up a little straighter, right? They'll always become a little bit more animated. Nice. They'll become pissed off because, and, and, I, and I'll read their body language. And it's not with something that they're expecting an interview, uh, an interviewer to do, but the body doesn't recognize reality from a memory. So it's going to have some kind of a, a reaction, right? I look at those reactions. I listen to the details, right? Um, which tells me certain, puts checks in certain boxes about their technical ability. And if they don't have the technical ability, I don't care. I'm going to teach them that stuff anyway. But I hire the ones that get pissed off. Because that's what, that's what I want. That's passion. You can tell me that you're passionate, but we're going to have a look. Mm. Let's have a look at that. Yeah, you know, that. let's, let's see what that passion really looks like. And they can't 
hide it. Hide it. Because they, they give a shit. Like, that's the thing. You're testing people. Do they give a shit or not? People who get angry give a shit. That's it. That's and it. The, the hard line of it is if, if they don't have a story or if they cry during the story, I simply can't hire them because they don't have the experience for the job. Yeah. They'll so, get it. They'll get it. But that's not what I promised my clients. I promised my clients bulldogs. I promised my clients guardians. You know, um, that is that that. That specifically is austerity. Wow. And we're there because we, because of that balance of compassion, you know? Uh, so, yeah. I love that. that. And that's a lovely, it's just come up, it's all come back around, hasn't it? Like, just with that, with the austerity, potent dose. Where you started I'm going to tell you something. This is, ever since we, uh, ever since I started podcasting and, and uh, getting involved with London Real and all you guys, it is, uh, it's really been transformative. You know, it really has outlined um, a deeper purpose for why I've been doing the things that I've been doing. It's, it, it's really kind of amazing. You know, the, the sense of alignment and purpose <clears throat> that just a few basic exercises have really brought out. Uh, man, it's invaluable. But it's all the, it's the relationships as well. For me, that's what it is. It's, it's meeting like-minded people. It's, you know, people who want to get their message out in the same way that you want to get your message out. You know, you want to inspire people and, uh, you know, live a better quality of life and that type of stuff and educate people. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you're doing something good and you're, you're, you've got pure intention behind it, you know, and you, you're going to get support for it. You know, it's just, it's just the way of, the way of things, you know. At the end of the day, and I'm really happy to hear that. And it's the same for me, man. You know, it's fantastic. And you know, obviously making friends with you as well has been an absolute blessing. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing you next week <laughs> as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're, doing, you're doing some uh, some important work too, just raising some raising awareness about consciousness and it's at least provoking people to start looking inside. You know what I mean? Just yeah. find, you know, and stop living such a reactive lifestyle and letting all of these exogenous stimuluses create your reality. Mm. You know, that's the work you're doing, dude. You know, that, if that doesn't create better human beings, come on, man. That's beautiful stuff. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Okay, well, I think uh, I think that's a nice note to, to leave it on for now. Um, I would absolutely love to have you back on again at some stage. So, um, you know, maybe in the next uh, couple of months to kind of check in with you to see how things are going with your with your caregiving business and all that type of stuff. And um, it's very very interesting, and I think a lot of people need to be aware um, of the disruption that you're going to make in that industry. Um, I love that. Positive disruption, baby. Absolutely, my friend. So, uh, so that's about it, guys. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode. I know it's been a rather, a rather long one today, um, but I hope you gained some nice insights and uh, valuable information from Dave McNamara here. Where can people learn more about you, Dave? Oh, uh, I'm on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor. Uh, just search Potent Dose Radio. You can find me on the web. Um, uh, thepotentdose.com. I'm on on Twitter at be the dose, Instagram. You know, just search be the dose and video. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, I'll leave links to the to those uh, those sites as well in the description. Um, so that's about it, guys. So thank you again for tuning into this episode of Journey Within. Um, take care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode today, guys. I really really appreciate your support. 
Um, if you had any breakthroughs or realizations during this episode, I'd really love to hear about them. You can comment on the Journey Within Facebook page. You can write a review on the podcast platform, or you can even email me directly at nigelmiller.ie at gmail.com. And if you feel you gained immense value from this episode, donations through PayPal are always appreciated. Um, also, is there something in your life that you find yourself struggling with? Is it something that you feel maybe I could help you with? If so, feel free to go ahead and book a free 15-minute consultation with me at calendly.com forward slash journey within. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash journey within.